Hello, you're welcome to If I Were the Minister for Education from Anshad.net. Episode 68, Admin Support for Special Classes. Of all the 130 or so episodes that I've written for this podcast now over four years ago, I often wondered which of them, if any, would come to fruition first. And to be honest, regularising secretary pay looked like that was going to be the winner. But as we come to the end of 2021, it seems that that saga is continuing on for another while. In fact, it's this episode which was the one that came to pass, but only just as I'm recording it, because I'm recording this in November 2021, and it was only a month ago that after years and years of lobbying, finally in Budget 22, which took place in October 2021, any teaching principal of a school with special classes is going to be given administrative status. However, I still think there's some way to go, because when a school gets even bigger, there might be an argument for an administrative deputy principal post um, when you have special classes. And if I were the Minister for Education, I think that's what I'd do. Hello, hello, you are welcome to If I Were the Minister for Education from Onshaw.net. This is Simon Lewis uh, with episode 68. Now, if I hadn't have joined the board of the IPPN and as a result stopped recording this podcast uh, for about almost six months and if COVID-19 hadn't come along I probably would have recorded this episode most likely I think about 10 months ago and back then the idea of all teaching principals becoming admin principals if they had two special classes I wouldn't say would have been a pipe dream but it certainly wasn't something that had already happened. However, however, after extensive lobbying from two principals in Kerry and some members of the National Principals Forum in early October, it finally happened. It wasn't quite out of the blue, as I mentioned just there, and to be perfectly honest, objectively, it's a tiny victory, and there's still a long way to go. But, in football terms, a win is a win. And I think it's probably worth exploring the story of how a few people in education made a small difference. But before all of that, some of you might be wondering, what the heck am I talking about? So let's take a few steps back. I want to explain briefly, if I can, about, I suppose, where this all, what this all means or what it's all about and all that kind of stuff, because uh, it may not be, if you're not involved in education, I'm always conscious that not everybody um, who listens to this podcast is a teacher and, or is in teaching or is involved in primary education. But even those who are actually in primary education may not, um, you know, actually know what's happening in other schools around the country, particularly some schools where they don't have special class for autism or may, and it may just not be on the radar. Uh, you'd be surprised how little some uh, schools know about uh, the world of education. Anyway, for those of you who aren't involved in education, uh, just so you know, um, classes uh, or autism classes basically consist of six children uh, with diagnosis of autism. There's a teacher and two special needs assistants. 
uh, to, uh, in, in the classroom. Now you could be sanctioned these classes and if you have two of those classes, um, you, um, it, it used to be known or referred to as a unit. I think the Department of Education, despite being constantly scolded for calling them that, uh, still refer to them in their documentation as, as, as that. But anyway, the ruling is that if you are a school with four or five classes, uh, mainstream classes, and you have two uh, special classes in your school, the principal of that school goes from being a teaching principal to an administrative principal. Now, if you don't have special classes in your school, you have to wait until your school has eight mainstream classes before you become an administrative principal. So, I mean, that's, that's I mean, I suppose, just uh, a bit of context um, around special uh, classes and, uh, and why um, maybe a number of small schools uh, have two classes um, for, for autism, um, or maybe, you know, or it, it just gives some sort of context anyway. So that's just a, a little bit of background. For me, the four or five classes is always a bit of a weird one, okay, because as I just referred, uh, referred to that, you know, you, you'll find a lot of uh, smaller schools opening these classes, maybe when it's, you know, not, not necessarily appropriate to do so. Uh, but anyway, that aside, it seems to be the rule of thumb. And one of the consequences of this arrangement is, or was really, um, is that schools on the outskirts of towns, maybe, you know, not quite on the periphery of the town, maybe about six to ten kilometres outside of a town, often would be small schools with teaching principals. They began opening up special classes when few of the town schools opened the classes. So if you have a big town, okay, a lot, what you might find is there's very few autism classes in the big town. But if you look to the periphery of that town, so a little bit outside the periphery, maybe six to ten kilometres outside of the town, you'll often find a bunch of special classes. Now, this curiosity suits and suited a lot of people. Well, town schools clearly don't want to open special classes for a variety of reasons, which I've gone into uh, in, in previous episodes. However, schools with teaching principals might have seen this as an opportunity to become administrative principals and opening two special classes in a small school outside a town suited them quite well. And even if the school didn't want special classes, the attraction of no longer being a teaching principal is definitely had to be a factor in opening special classes. However, on top of that, and I'm not saying that happened in all the cases, but on top of that, this arrangement, whether it was absolutely true or not, also suited the people in control, namely the NCSE. And the net NCSE, for those of you, I mean, if you've listened to my podcast, I, uh, I, I assume you know who the NCSE are. For those of you who don't know them, they're the National Council for Special Education, by far the most awful organisation in education. But um, in this case, I'm not giving out about them um, that much. But it suited them, this arrangement of teaching principals wanting to become administrative principals, because it was, they were under pressure themselves to open special classes, and if a school opened a special class for whatever reason, it solved a problem for them, even if the special classes weren't in the locality of the children using them. And oddly enough, the result of this policy of four or five classes was that children were often bussed out to the country from towns to access special classes. And there, there's countless examples. And I'm just going on one county that I know well. Nine out of the 45 schools that have classes for autism. Okay, so this is a, this is a county. And I counted uh, of, of the 45 schools in that county, nine of them have classes for autism. Six out of those nine are rural schools with teaching principals or formally teaching principals. And I think it's interesting to note this. 
okay? There's a famous quote by the Russian short story writer, uh, I think it's Anthony or Anton Chekhov, um, and I'll paraphrase it. He said, if you show a gun in the early part of a story, you'll need to use that gun later in the story. So just consider me showing you the gun. So let's get to the story of why in budget 2022, kind of unexpectedly, but also not that unexpectedly, the Department of Education decided to grant all teaching principals, now all teaching, not just four or five classes, that's all teaching principals, with two special classes um, to become administrative principals. So this is the decision made in budget 22 in October 2021. Running classes for autism is hugely time intensive for any school leader. And on top of that, it's a loss-making affair. So if you're a school that's short of money, having autism classes is going to cost you more than you're actually getting in. And the grants that are paid to school are pitiful if they want to do things properly. And on top of that, the needs of the pupils that present to these classes are generally not fulfilled within the resources given. And as we heard in my interview with Anne from Cork about special schools, children in special classes generally always need some form of occupational therapy or OT, and generally some form of speech and language therapy. And the Department of Education provides zero support for either of those things. There's also no nurse, which is sometimes necessary, and ultimately you get one teacher, two SNAs, and that is it. It doesn't matter what the needs of the pupils are, and they are now so far removed from what they were set up to be in the first place, they are completely inadequate for the needs of the pupils. There's no specific initial teacher training really for teachers working in these schools, and the Department of Education doesn't provide a single bit of training for special needs assistance once they are qualified. Training for teachers used to be reasonably good through a service called the SESS, which I can't remember what that stands for. Um, but in the last few years, the NCSC, again, absorbed this service and has made an absolute hames of it. Despite that, having a class for autism, um, you know, despite all that, I, I probably would say, because I'm going to backtrack a little bit here, ha having a class for autism is richly rewarding for a school, despite all those negatives. Um, because it teaches all children um, about inclusion, uh, that's for the children in the classes and for the children in the mainstream uh, classes. And I don't know, is the balance of terrible resourcing worth it? I think it's a fair question, but given so schools voluntarily apply to open them up, maybe the answer is clear from um, maybe the, the schools in question. Yes, a lot of schools will open them, but yes, as well, a lot of schools won't open them. So clearly, most schools don't think the lack of resourcing is worth um, the benefit of having special classes. And again, uh, I've touched on this uh, in, a, in a special episode of this uh, podcast and at least a year ago around uh, South Dublin and why so few autism classes were open in, these, in this area. Anyway, which is... I mean, all that aside, it's obviously not much good to the thousands of families that need autism classes for their children. We're going to have a philosophical debate all day long about it. The NCSE do a fantastic job of basically turning parents against schools. <laughs> you thought I was going to give them a compliment. But doing them absolutely nothing except telling schools they must open classes without providing them with adequate supports. And the whole thing is an absolute mess. And I've spoken, as I've said, I've spoken in detail about this. Our 
wonderful governments have also pitted into the battle by creating stupid laws to compel and shame schools that don't open classes. Rather than actually providing schools with the resources necessary, what they did infamously in South Dublin, for example, the government published publicly all of the reasons that schools in South Dublin gave for not opening classes. So basically they wrote to all schools saying, will you open classes? And then the, the schools responded saying the reasons why they wouldn't. Uh, and most of them said, yeah, we absolutely would if we get if we were given the supports. And uh, what they did was they published all those um uh, published them publicly without I mean I don't think the, the schools gave permission for those to be published or didn't know they were going to be published and it was a sinister move with only one motive and that was to shame schools and many groups took direct quotes from these submissions and they were used to chastise those schools and while some of the reasons that were published may have been questionable this is not the way one goes about opening classes give the schools what they need and they will open them it's it's as simple as that However, ultimately, the government and the NCSE um, are only using goodwill as their tool for opening classes. They, that's all they have. All they have is goodwill from nice principals, nice boards, nice schools. And many people, like myself, I'm not saying I'm nice, but I, I certainly I, I, I do see the benefits of them, set up classes because it was the right thing to do, even if it wasn't really the right thing to do in the long term in terms of funding in terms of getting the resources one needs but i can only speak from my own experience but before i opened the classes for autism the ncse couldn't do enough for me and the very minute the class opened i was left to my own devices they give you nothing and they treat you almost with contempt after you open your classes and this was in a time where my school had very very little money and i I, I, to be honest with you, I, I still feel bitter about the fact that I was, I was almost seduced by the NCSE in opening these classes when I had a small school. I was very much in, uh, in my infancy as a principal. Now, I don't regret doing it. I mean, geez, I mean, don't get me wrong. It's the best thing I also ever did. One of the best things I ever did was open special classes. We were the only school uh, in, my, in, in, the, in the county at the time, in the county at the time, to open up a special class for autism. Uh, but at the same time, um, had I been more experienced, I would have made, certainly would have made a few more demands uh, in terms of resourcing to ensure that the children got exactly what they needed. What they had for the first four years were completely inadequate um, resources. They, they were in a room which was completely inappropriate and they didn't have any of the resources they needed um, to, to ensure as best in education as possible. Now we are in a state-of-the-art uh, building uh, since then and things are slightly better, but certainly not to the degree that where they should be. But anyway, that's just um, a little bit of context from my own point of view. Now, while Goodwill worked for quite a number of schools, including my own, a number of small schools with four or five teachers definitely saw an opportunity. I'm not saying all these schools saw this opportunity, but a lot of them did. And if you ever wondered why your local country school opened up classes for children with autism, even though there wasn't a single child with autism in the village, never mind uh, in the school, the reason was simple. If two classes for autism opened in a small school for at least four mainstream classes, the principal became administrative. It was as simple as that. Now, as I said, I remember when I was opening my classes back in 2009, the advice from the NCSE was actually not to open two classes. Um, I mean, 
I was I wasn't in the position to become an administrative principal had I have opened two classes. My school was uh, only a year old. I had less than thirty pupils in the school, uh, so it wouldn't have made any difference at the time. But at the time, the NCSC advice was only to open one class for every stream of uh, classes I had. Now, a stream is basically like junior infants to sixth class. So one stream school would have eight teachers in it. A two stream school would have two sets of junior infants, two sets of senior infants, and so on. And um, so an eight teacher school would suit one autism class and a 16 teacher school would suit two classes and so on. Well, when the need for classes was there, that jewel of advice was quickly retired and you don't hear them saying that anymore. Despite all this, many four to five teacher schools didn't take the bribe for many, many reasons and I've gone through them as I said and the need for autism classes continued to rise. So that's a little bit of context. Let's just shift a little bit to a topic called principal workload, completely unrelated to this topic. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> yeah, let's talk about principal workload and what that is. Some of you may have heard of the Primary Education Forum. Yeah? Have you heard of the Primary Education Forum? Well, if you hadn't, it's a group of people who had its first meeting in November 2018. Three years ago before, you know, well, since I've, I'm recording this podcast. So three years ago to this day. And I have to say, just, just so I know, in case people aren't clear about it, the Primary Education Forum isn't at all in any way, it's probably coincidental, it's not in the slightest in response to it didn't happen because a meeting was convened in Port Leash that a couple of months by, uh, before the primary education forum was um, was was formed. Um, it was nothing to do with this meeting that happened in Port Leash, uh, hosted by another group called the National Principals Forum, where a group of principals presented findings of over one thousand of their colleagues. Um, about principal workload, nothing to do with it. Just just so you know, I I, I just want to make sure that that's. You're no doubt that this was a total coincidence the Primary Education Forum started a couple of months after this meeting in Port Leash. Because this meeting, <laughs> oh, it was joyous. I, to be honest, I was there. And um, it, was, it, was, it was so much fun because what they did, these principals, <laughs> these, uh, these principals, what they did was they gave fun facts, okay, to the, to, to the people that were there, such as, here's some examples, 95% of principals in the country said they felt stressed by their job 70% of them said their mental health had been affected by their job. Oh, <laughs> oh the crack. That 68% of them considered stepping down from their role. Oh, what a day, yeah? And I remember the meeting because I presented those findings to every stakeholder because I was... I, I had recently joined the National Principals Forum um, and uh, was part and conducted part of that survey with the rest of the group and uh, delighted that I am still part of that group um, who um, give their all to their to their principal colleagues um, and you know every stakeholder actually showed up at that meeting this this meeting had uh, nearly 100 people at, in the room who traveled to Port Leash on their time on, on a weekend and the heads of IPPN INTO the NABSME um, and all the rest of the gang they were all there and they heard these facts from um, principals around the country, over a thousand responses. And as you would expect, they were 
horrified. And each one of them stood up to speak, to make sure that they stated that they would do whatever they could to ensure that they would work with the National Principles Forum to help the undeniable overload of work on principles. I mean, I'm sure you didn't think they would completely ignore the results of the survey. <laughs> Silly you. No, no, you, they wouldn't, you know. They wouldn't take the results of that survey and, and tell their members not to communicate with the National Principles Forum, forum or, or call them injurious renegades. <laughs> oh, who would do such a thing? Of course they'd stand up and, defend and be outraged. Yeah. yeah, actually, that's exactly what they did. They, they, they basically, you know, amazingly, despite having all the evidence from over a thousand principles, they refused to use the data. They refuse to accept the data. And in fact, and maybe I shouldn't say this, but I think it's okay to do so because I'm not going to name names. I remember shortly after the meeting, I was at another meeting of, you know, people uh, who are representatives. And I met one of the people, one of the leaders of that organization in a bathroom, no less. Um, that sounds a bit sinister, but we were at adjacent urinals, you know, like... You know, as as you do, and after ignoring each other, as as are the rules of men's toilet etiquette, our fly zipped up. We, you know, he turned to me and he said, "You know that survey, Simon? Were those figures real, really?" And when I said they were, and I said they were from over one thousand principles, he paused as we were washing our hands, and he said, "Ah, sure." The job isn't that bad, really. A couple of weeks later, the boys, and when I say the boys, I literally mean all of the representatives were men, sat around a table for the newly invented primary workload forum, which did not consist of anyone from the National Principles Forum, to discuss principal workload. Uh, the forum has been around for three years, as I said, and it would be hard to list all of its achievements, to be honest with you, because I could be here all night. But I'll give it a go. Do you know what? Because, you know, it's only fair to do that. Okay, here we go. They've managed to pause the introduction of the new maths curriculum, which, by the way, has nothing to do with the fact that, um, you know, it's nothing to do with the delay in rolling out the primary language curriculum, which is still going on. So, I mean, no, no, I mean, they've, they've succeeded in pausing the new maths curriculum. And they also managed to pause the introduction of the front-loading model for SNAs by a whole year, replacing it with a temporary model, which is exactly the same as the front-loading model, but isn't called the front-loading model. Um, that's it. That's what they've done in three years. So essentially, principal workload hasn't actually gotten better in any way. There hasn't been a single thing in the ed primary education forum that, has that, that basically has reduced principal workload. The reason I'm telling you this is because principal workload has become such a major issue. Many principals, especially teaching principals, are trying to figure out ways to do it themselves, to reduce their workload. And many of them, are, um, many of them are do this after they become ill. Um, and I'm kind of, and to be very serious, Ron, I suppose the episode is serious, and I know I'm speaking, telling a few, trying to make, trying to be lighthearted in some ways because it's so depressing, maybe. If you can't laugh, you'd cry. But I mean, to be really serious for a moment, I am sick of hearing 
of my colleagues becoming sick because of the workload. And I'm sick of hearing representative bodies pretending that they're doing anything about it because they're not doing anything about it. They're, uh, you know, they're not, unless, unless, I mean, unless I hear them publicly shouting and bawling about it, they're not doing it. And I'm sick of that, um, to be honest with you. And it's no wonder that teaching principals especially are finding ways to reduce their workload. And I'm going to let you know, here's some way that people are doing it. One way many principals have found themselves reducing their workload is by going on secondment. And, and no lie, I mean, they're, so what's that thing that you spend loads and loads of years, um, you spend many, many, so many years getting trained up to become a teacher and then a principal, and then you spend the rest of your time trying to get out of it. Um, it's actually, like I'm paraphrasing here and I'm not doing a very good job. I'm very bad at these sayings. But anyway, um, the PDST and the Teaching Council are two places where quite a number of teaching principals have found themselves. And working for either the PDST or the Teaching Council involves the following. I'll start because it's two different jobs, okay? I'll start with the Teaching Council. You could be hired by the Teaching Council to work as an NIPT advisor. Now, for those of you who don't know what the NIPT is, I had to look it up to be honest with you. It stands for National Induction Programme for Teachers, or better known as DRID to you and me. And being an NIPT advisor means that you get out of your crazy job and roll out DRID to schools all over the country. Now, I'll be honest, and while I can totally understand why a teaching principal might jump on this train to escape the unsustainable workload, to me, it's almost like a betrayal to your ex-colleagues doing this. Now, I'm trying to think of a good analogy here, and I can't really think of a good analogy. Maybe it's like cheating on your partner with your boss or something. <laughs> I don't know. That's not a great analogy. However, I have to say, if I did this, I probably, no matter how bad things got in, in uh, being a principal, me going to the NYPT to, to train people in Drihid, I mean, I have to say I would hate myself every day that I would be standing up in front of my ex-colleagues and training them in a program which actually increases their workload. It's like some, it is a betrayal of some sort. I mean, I can, I can absolutely see exactly why one would do it for themselves. It's self-preservation. I mean, I just, I mean, I just don't think I could bring myself to doing it. But I guess, I get it, I get it. I mean, I do get why someone would do it. Like, you know, at the end of the day, if you don't look after yourself, you know, no one's stopping anyone else from doing it. So I get why you would screw over your ex-colleagues, <laughs> you know, to preserve yourself. But look, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I just couldn't do it, um, to be honest with you. The PDST is a bit different. I mean, that to me, for a principal, is kind of like taking a career break, except getting paid for it. I mean, the PDST to me is a bit harness, okay? It's harness enough. Basically, you wake up, you go to a hotel, you read a script, and then you go home. You might get a nice lunch out of it. There's no, there's no real planning about it because, you know, you, you, you just basically read a script and you actually get to see your family more often than you do when you were a principal. And if you behave yourself and act like a very good boy or girl or drone or whatever, um, you might get promoted and get another few years away from your job because you have a maximum of five years to go in secondment. But if you're a good boy, girl or robot, you might get another few ways, uh, years away by getting promoted. And there's a general rule that if you work for the PDST, and I found this, and look out for it the next time you go to a PDST course, course at some point, 
Okay, this is the general rule. At some point, a presenter will say, sure, you're all doing this anyway. I, I just listen, that, I, I listen out for that all the time. It's like bingo, do you know that thing? If somebody says it to you, you kind of bingo, you know, these kind of things. Anyway, uh, another thing I love about the PDST is that it doesn't really matter whether you're any good at the thing you're training your colleagues in. I find this amazing. You know, you could be kind of, you could be a literacy expert one day teaching the, the primary language curriculum. And then a couple of years later, you could be thrown out to be doing well-being or music or sex education. I mean, it's, it's phenomenal. And it doesn't really matter if you know a thing about it. The only thing you know how to do is how to play a PowerPoint and ape what you've been told to say by somebody else. You need to be able to carry folders of laminated activities. And then you have to try and sound reasonably enthusiastic, even if you're dying inside. I mean, it's, I mean, I can absolutely see why any principal would jump at the chance not to have to think for a few years. And the PDST is a place where you can go along every day and not think at all. You just, you just read a script in the tone of voice that you've been trained to do by the tone of voice uh, trainer and voila, you're done. However, if betraying your colleagues or becoming a mindless robot drone aren't your cup of tea and you're a teaching principal of a four or five class school, another possibility is to open up two special classes. And this decision allows you to become an administrative principal. Um, and it's absolutely no coincidence whatsoever that the majority of autism classes are in small schools. Yes, there's many big schools that open classes too, but the majority of them are situated in smaller schools. Now, this, um, now this arrangement may be great for everyone, except children. The teaching principal becomes administrative, so it's good for them. The NCSE gets a class to open, thus taking a bit of pressure off them. The Department of Education are happy because they have another bit of pressure taken off them too. Special needs group like NABSME or any of the advocate groups are happy because they can claim uh, they put the required pressure on the government to make it happen. And many parents are happy because their child gets a place in the school, even if that school is an hour's bus drive every day. I'm not sure sticking a child on a bus for an hour is great for the child, but how and ever. Let's move on to the story of this episode, the first of 130 or so things I've written about that actually came to fruition. As I said, it came about from two principals in the southwest of the country who ran a campaign to make all teaching principals administrative if they had two or more special classes. These two principals noticed that this situation wouldn't cost very much money and would affect a very small number of schools. It should be, on paper, an extremely easy victory. Well, the IPPN noticed this too, and they came on board to stand with those two principals. And the Minister for Special Education, Josefa Madigan, who had effectively achieved nothing since coming into office, also saw this as a very easy victory. And in Budget 22, the decision was taken that all schools with two special classes would have an administrative principal, which sounds like an unbelievable achievement. An unbelievable, you know, applause and rapturous applause, standing ovations and so on. But the reality is that this decision affected 40 
one schools in the whole country out of 3,200. 26 of those were mainstream primary schools, so it affected 26 mainstream primary schools. And of the 15 other special schools, to be honest with you, and I know this unfortunately, uh, I mean, you know, these, these, these things come out in the wash, most of them had already had a local arrangement since 2008 that they had an administrative principal anyway. Um, so in reality, this decision only affected a tiny number of schools and cost almost nothing. And while it is a very good news story, and I don't want to sound like a grump, and I don't want to be, you know, dumping all over it, because it is a good news story, it isn't as big a triumph, maybe, as the government have made it out to be. Yes, it's fantastic for the very, very small number of schools it affects, but we can't lose sight of the fact that 99%, and it is actually 99%, uh, probably more than 99% of schools, didn't receive a single bit of good news in terms of supporting children with additional needs. So like I said earlier about the gun, I've mentioned already that there's a strange coincidence that the majority of special classes happen to be in areas where there is a small school of four to five mainstream classes. I've suggested that teaching principals would be very likely to open these classes because of the carrot of becoming an administrative principal. And with this budget, maybe a can of carrots have been opened. With almost half of all primary schools in Ireland having four or fewer classes, if any of these schools open up two special classes, the principal can now become administrative. Now that's up to possibly 1,500 schools. And now it's starting to, to, to cost a little bit more money. Potentially, this decision in the budget, which affected only 26 schools, could open up floodgates to very rural areas, opening up these classes. And this opens up some interesting questions, in my opinion. Evidence would suggest that the NCSE and the government don't really care who opens up autism classes because all they care about are bums on seats. There's currently a huge shortage of places in special classes and ultimately for every school that opens two classes, there are, that's basically 12 more places for children. They don't care that the children may have to travel on a bus for several hours a day and they don't care the cost of that bus for several hours a day to get to and from school. And we also have to look out for evidence now as to whether very small schools will now start opening autism classes as a result. Given that many of them haven't done so yet would suggest that the reason for doing so may not be for exactly the right reasons. Now I don't say that as a criticism, I completely understand the reasons. I was that soldier. I opened up special classes when I was a two-teacher school. And I can tell you, for the until I became an administrative principal, it was absolutely, it was so difficult. I wasn't actually able to do my job um, properly for the few years that, uh, that I had a special class uh, and was a teaching principal at the time. I, I get it. I understand why no one would do it. Anyone I know in this position, and, I, and I, apart from myself at the time, Right, uh, up until now, I know two people in that position, and I can tell you they won't know themselves come September because it was a huge, huge lift uh, for me that I was able to actually do my job properly. However, while this decision in the budget only affected around, it's probably around 30 schools if you include special schools, um, in reality, the government may have opened itself to potentially hundreds of small schools opening up autism classes. Is that true, possibly? And to be honest, I'm not really sure. 
As far as I know, autism classes are only open in areas where a CENO perceives there is demand. However, if schools in an area refuse to open a class when there is a demand, perhaps rather than compelling them to, which is a long process, the CENO might see it as less hassle to move out the country a little bit, find a, a small school that isn't too far away that might be willing, in return, for administrative principal status. As I said, I'm not saying this will definitely happen, but it's not an unlikely scenario, because ultimately, the, the aim for the government and the NCSE is to ensure there are enough bums on seats, or enough places for bums on seats, and if that means a school that's slightly inappropriate for, uh, but but achieves that um, achieves that status, then maybe it's worth worth I suppose worth it uh, to do so. And many families might be happy enough with this arrangement because ultimately it's better that there's a school place available for their child than than not. However, to me, it all sounds I don't know a little bit I don't know what the right word is. Maybe it it just sounds a little bit Irish. Look. All in all, I guess despite the potential pitfalls, it's probably a good thing that this happened. It is impossible to be a teaching principal and run autism classes. I know I've been there. However, the story doesn't end here. Although I'm not going to go on about it for a very long time, because I'm sure you're probably bored out of your teeth at this stage. I've been going on for over 35 minutes. If teaching principals are to become administrative principals in very small schools, there's a very strong argument that deputy principals in bigger schools should be made administrative too, if they have autism classes. In many, many cases, it's actually nearly 70% of the time, according to the most recent survey from the National Principals Forum, a person other than the principal manages all things special education in their school. And when that teacher has full-time teaching responsibilities as well as managing the autism classes, it would seem entirely reasonable that if a principal of a one or two teacher school should be an administrative principal or should be administrative, then so should the deputy principal of a large primary school. Now I know I know this does happen when a school is very, 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 very big, as in like 619 pupils big, which is basically a 24 teacher school or a three stream school. However, I'd suggest that this should come down significantly to possibly about half of that. So if you have a 12 teacher school and two autism classes, the deputy principal should become administrative. Now again, this might have unintended consequences for bigger schools to open autism classes, but these are more likely to happen in urban areas where there is more demand for these classes. So it actually makes a lot more sense to do this, maybe, rather than what they've done in the budget. So that's really it for this episode. Yes, we have now extra administrative support for small schools since Budget 22, but deputy principals are going to have to wait a little while longer. Will the floodgates open with this news? And will we see lots of very small schools opening special classes? I guess all we can say is time will tell. So that is it for this episode. Uh, thank you so much for listening. I suppose I ended there with a question that I maybe I should have had a bit more thoughts on it, but I realise I've gone on for quite some time now and it may be good to leave with that question. That may, would it have been better uh, for deputy principals uh, in bigger schools 
uh, to become administrative, uh, given that most uh, uh, that most schools, urban schools, uh, require uh, special classes more so than maybe very small rural schools having uh, administrative principals if they open up two special classes. I don't know. I mean, I don't think it really makes much of a difference. Um, personally, I don't have strong feelings on that, but some of you might, and uh, it'd be interesting to hear your thoughts. Um, if you do have any thoughts, um, I tweet about these uh, podcasts uh, throughout the year, and they come up. Um, every every so often I, I retweet these uh, episodes so you're uh, welcome to respond at any time uh, you can um, also tune in to this podcast every week on uh, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts and all the rest of the podcasting platforms and I'd really appreciate you subscribing so you get the podcast a little earlier than everybody else um, if you feel, um, if you really enjoyed it maybe you'd leave us a review Uh, so other Irish teachers uh, and teachers around the world can find the podcast uh, wherever they are Uh, that's it for this week 40 minutes uh, long and uh, I hope you enjoyed it Uh, we'll chat to you again next week all the best bye bye